0: What's going on everybody and welcome to episode 26 of the Did You Hear podcast, part of the Blue Wire Hustle podcast network. I'm Emma Houghton, he's Pat Zhang, and Pat, we are literally three weeks into the season and just had an October-like baseball series. Best ever.
1: Really, the, the center of the baseball world was on one series over this weekend. It felt like October. It is only April 19th And you know what? That is only good for the sport to have high-intensity games this early in the season.
0: It is so, so good for the sport. And for that many people to be talking about it, it was A, unusual for this early and kind of for Mm -hmm. baseball, which people know how we feel about that, the injustice (laughs) of it. But it was cool to see this many people tuning in, having fans in the stands was amazing, and the quality of these three games between the Dodgers and the Padres were just insane.
1: These are two of the best teams in the National League. These are two of the best teams in baseball. Um, And as you said, it was just fantastic to see everyone really focus on this series. And you saw the intensity in the players and how they reacted to the moments during this series. Yeah, This means a lot to them. I know you had Corey Seager pour a lot of cold water on this series going into (laughs) it, saying it didn't matter. It's just another team early in the season. I I don't buy that for a second. (laughs) And I think we saw that over the weekend.
0: I don't buy it either, but I honestly, it wouldn't be baseball if they were all hyped up about it beforehand, right? That would be so unusual if Corey Seager walked into an interview and was just (laughs) in animated in any way. That's just not who he is. And the same with the managers. I don't think Mm -hmm. I was fine with them not putting too much emphasis on it. But I do think afterwards, even Roberts was like, this was pretty legit.
1: No I couldn't agree more I, I don't think you I, it, on the on the Padres section of things you don't want to put the Dodgers on any more of a pedestal yes. as they're yes. already on because we, we know about the Big brother little brother that they kind of look at each other at and if you're the Dodgers I mean the the Padres are just this annoying gnat that's flying <laughs> around you right now because of obviously how much of a super team the Dodgers are. Uh, so I, I I completely get it from both sides. But what it does is it just leads to fantastic and incredibly interesting, intriguing, competitive, uh, intense baseball. And it was great.
0: Yeah. So the games were Friday night, Saturday night, and then Sunday afternoon. Dodgers take two. Before mm-hmm. we get into the actual action of the game, because you just said it, it, it r- reminded me that I think we should talk about this. What were your thoughts about both teams going in? Where did you think both the Dodgers and the Padres stood going in like Friday afternoon going into this series?
1: Yeah, so listen, going into this series, the Dodgers were eleven and two. Yeah. <laughs> they, we talked about over unders, you know, just a couple of weeks ago and theirs was, I believe, 103 and a half. Yeah. I, I may be wrong, but it was right that around sounds
0: about right.
1: It was right around that territory. And I said under just because of the sheer number couple weeks into the season, they are going to aggressively approach that over. <laughs> this team is ridiculous from top to bottom. I mean, I, I think going into it, what you loved is that this was going to be, you know, a nice, I don't know if measuring sticks the right word here, but just uh, some good competition for the Dodgers to stack up against one of the top teams in the NL. So yeah. I, I thought that was good there. And on the Padres, you know, it's been mixed so far. I think you watch their games and you say, that's a really talented baseball team. But... It hasn't completely shown through yet. I don't think Blake Snell's been at his best yet. Again, we're a couple weeks in the season. How much do you want to jump into that? Fernando Tatis is hitting sub 200. He also missed you know, some time with the mm-hmm. shoulder injury. So I did think this was a little more important for the Padres than the Dodgers, just because oh, you've seen the a Dodgers. Good way to put it. Yeah, yeah. it's just the, the start that the Dodgers have gotten off to. Um, and I think we saw through three games that this Dodgers team's juggernaut
0: Yeah, I completely agree. I I think the Dodgers' pace right now is about 133 wins. Jesus. If I remember that correctly. So they're aggressively over right now. And when I was thinking about the Padres, I actually think the way you worded it is perfect. They are a very talented baseball team, but they haven't been performing Mm -hmm. that well so far. And a lot of it has to do with injuries. Fernando Tatis is the big one, but Trent Grisham hasn't been 100%. He is a huge part of this team that will forever be underrated. Just Some came their, back as well. Yeah, just he didn't even play on Sunday. A lot of their bullpen pieces aren't 100% healthy. That's a big success piece for them. So I was curious to see how the Padres would match up. And we obviously will get into it a lot later. I still think the Padres are behind, but I was impressed by them just sticking around. They really are just a pest. And even if the Dodgers from top to bottom are more talented, the Padres are going to make every single game they play a game. And that makes me so excited.
1: So I I love what you said there about the Padres where, you know, they, they were in these games and they were, they had a chance to, they lost two out of three. They had a chance to win every single one of those games. You know, the, the first one went to extra innings. Yep. The first one was incredible, you know. The second one was a, a, a two nothing win from the Dodgers, where Clayton Kershaw really turned back the years and, and looked fantastic, and obviously they won on Sunday. So, I, listen, I, I'm not the biggest moral victory person in the world, <laughs> but if you're San Diego, you played the best team in baseball by a country mile, really, really well, and at least on Friday night they should have won that game. Uh, before, you know, imploding in extra innings and Jake Cronenworth yeah. coming into pitch,
0: which is
1: <laughs> <Insane>. <laughs> adds to the entertainment level of what this series was. But um, so that that's kind of how I'd look at it from the Padres coming out of it.
0: I'll actually take it even further. I think the quote unquote moral victory comes. I think the Padres left this series pretty pissed Yeah, because they they blew it in their two losses. If they had done better with runners in scoring position, if they had made less errors, if their pitchers had stuck it out a little longer, etc. you could keep going down that list, they could have easily won these games. So I actually think it's a good thing that the Padres left mad saying, oh man, if we could have done this, this would have happened. Because if they had just gotten blown out, then there wouldn't have been any entertainment. There wouldn't have been any competition. So I actually think it's a good thing that A, it was so close, and B, the Padres know that if they had played better, they easily could have won.
1: And to your point too, this Padre team is not healthy yet. I mean, the yeah. the, the Grisham, as you said, I, I harped on Grisham a ton, you mm-hmm. know, during the off season and last year, I love Grisham. And I think he adds so much to this Padres offense. And you know, we know how good he is out there in, in, in center field and on, on Tatis Jr. too. I'm a little nervous that he's back already. I, I really think he probably should have given it a little bit more time. I know yeah. we want him out there. I know it was Padres Dodgers It feels a little rushed that he came back, you know, from uh, popping out his shoulder like that. Uh, Of course, he's the one that's going to know his body a heck of a lot better than any of us. us. But I would like him to be a little more cautious here because, you know, just think back to his rookie season. He lost half his rookie season due to injury. You've got this shoulder injury popping up, which is a reoccurring injury, popping up again already say, so early yeah. in this season. Uh, the, he, We know how important he is to the Padres and everything they do in that lineup. He's a, an electric talent in the field. He's a dynamic personality. He's not someone baseball can really afford to lose, so I, I would have been okay if he took another week or two to sit out this thing. But, of course, always nice to see him on the field.
0: Yeah, he also went one for 13. Mm-hmm. So I'm not sure he's not right. Like,
1: I'm really not.
0: Yeah, I, I mean, I, I, I confidently can say I do not think he's right. Yep. He isn't right. Um but the one for thirteen, it wasn't like he played a huge impact in these games. The actually. one was a home run. It off was of Walker Buehler of, but... off of Buehler, and, but and in the, in the field he was detrimental at times as well. Mm-hmm. He still, I think he's got you, five errors. Is that what the, is that? The uh, I think it's six.
1: Is it more now? Yeah. Yeah,
0: I think it's six. There was one that I actually think was more Cronenworth's fault than Tatis's, but anyways. Tell us how we're going to go through some of these games. Give us a blueprint here so we can have a little bit of structure.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I, I think we're just kind of going through things that stood out to us. Okay. Kind of takeaways that we go through it. And then just favorite moments as a whole from the series. Yeah. So, so I say, do you want me to start something off?
0: Yeah, you go ahead. I
1: say, I'll say I'll start off with two things that happened. And it's a word that I've mentioned a couple times already, and that's intensity. And mm. we saw it in games one and two. Well, honestly, all of them, I can give you multiple instances here. You know, in the first game, you had benches clear after Mateo got hit by the Santana pitch, which again, we know baseball doesn't love as we go back to the Castellanos problem yeah. that we talked about. But...
0: Passion exit.
1: Yeah, but I love it, uh, especially in, in Dodgers Padres and what this, this rivalry is going to mean for baseball this season. Uh, two, You've got the the Kershaw situation uh, as well when Yerkes and Profar had a catcher's interference call and they're both screaming at each other uh-huh. uh, with Profar on first base and Kershaw and walking out at him, cursing at him.
0: Kershaw it, instigated, which he you did. never see.
1: He did. Yeah. So he, again, tell me that this series doesn't matter to these guys. Yeah. Tell me that it's another series. And then the third one. You know, you go to game three and Trevor Bauer's doing his walk and is screaming <laughs> after strikeouts and he's walking off the mount. So I, I'm looking at this and like I said, intensity is the word that jumps out to me. But I do want to highlight how important I think this is for baseball because, listen, the thing we've been fed for years is Yankees, Red Sox, Yankees, Red Sox. Yeah. It's thrown down our throats. It's the rivalry. You know, looking at it this year. No, it's not. The rivalry is on the West Coast. It's between LA and San Diego. And I think this series, you know, we used set the tone in the title for last week. This series set the tone for this season. Oh yeah. This series set the tone for seasons to come between these two teams. This series set the tone for what the competition is going to be like. I loved the screaming and the going back and forth. That is what this, these series are going to be like. And I thought it was a perfect way to get things started.
0: Love that. I Literally setting the tone for the next decade. Decade plus, which is so insane to think about, but I think it could legitimately span that long and even later because of Fernando Tatis's contract. I have a I have a one to add here too. It mostly centers around the Dodgers. Also mm-hmm. a passion moment that you miss. Mookie bets, that game saving catch. Oh, trust pounded, me, it's coming up later. He pounded his chest, and he honestly doesn't show that much emotion all the nope. time either. So that was that was pretty cool. So I'll focus on the first the first game mostly a little bit on the second mm-hmm. the Dodgers depth yes continues to blow me away at such an extreme rate it's I'm I can't even put it into words David Price got his first save in game one <laughs> since game seven of the 2008 American League Championship Series. He was so good
1: in that postseason, by the way, too. That was his, that was his rookie year, I believe, out of he Vanderbilt. He
0: was so good. That whole stretch, he was so good. But the fact, we've mentioned it before, the fact that David Price isn't even starting, a former Cy Young winner, because the Dodgers have so much depth in the starting rotation, that they can put him in the bullpen, and they can put him in in a save situation in the 12th inning of this game. That's one. The next is that Cody Bellinger has a hairline fracture in his mm tibia Mm -hmm. that is a serious thing and it kind of quietly broke did you think that because he was out for something else and then it also broke that he got spiked and now he has a broken leg and i think he's gonna be out for some significant time which is very detrimental but i don't think if i hadn't brought this up we wouldn't have even mentioned that cody bellinger was gone there and are so many other stars on this team, that's right? That's the insanity of the Dodgers yeah.
1: as you were going through. I mean, talking so you're spotlighting Friday. Luke Rayleigh hit his first career home run. That's in exactly that game what com- I was going to say. Coming out of the outfield. It doesn't matter. The Dodgers just bring up another guy. He steps in. Of course, no one can make the impact that Cody Bellinger does because he's such a great glove and we know all about that power, that sweet swing and all the power he's got from the left side. But it is out of this world what they do. And yeah. they do this year in and year out. At position after position.
0: I mean, think about how good this this Dodgers team is. And then when Cody Bellinger is inserted back, that's my main takeaway. And then the other thing, oh, also, I'm sorry, but can I get a little bit of Zach McKinstry credit here? Of course. He had a great series as well. Him and Rayleigh, I mean, those are cool, cool stories. And Gavin Lux is now in the IL, so you have this guy... I think his name is Sheldon Noose or something like that, and he was getting playing time at second. It's just crazy.
1: And <laughs> McKinstry is currently hitting 320, by the way. Yeah,
0: he's a beast. Beast. And the, so the second thing I have to say, and this I think can be taken out to baseball as a whole, and I actually want to mention this too when we talk about Snell. The Dodgers have four men who have recorded a save. I mentioned Price, and then you've got some more Familiar names like Victor Gonzalez, Corey Knebel, Kenley Jansen. Blake Trinan hasn't recorded a save, arguably mm-hmm. one of their best arms in the pen. Dar Gradoval hasn't recorded a save, who I'm pretty sure you thought was going to be the main closer for the Dodgers, Pat.
1: Yeah, he came back and pitched for in his first appearance on Sunday yeah. uh, after missing the first part of the season. And I do believe he will end up being the full-time closer uh, at some point during the season.
0: Jimmy Nelson also hasn't recorded a save. And then Julio Urias also hasn't recorded a save. I obviously mentioned him because he saved game six of the 2020 World Series last fall. So the equality, I guess you could say, of this. And and A, it benefits the Dodgers because you don't put too much stress on any one pitcher. You don't have to worry about load management, stuff like that. (laughs) Where you obviously hear more about that in the NBA. But the other reason why it's so beneficial is that hitters don't get to zero in on one guy. They can't look at Kenley Jansen and watch hours of Kenley Jansen's tape and know exactly what he's going to throw because he might be in there one every four days now. And in the meantime, you're going to see Gonzalez, Knable, Price, Gratterall, etc. It's just... Crazy. How many times am I going to say the word crazy? But it is because of how much depth they have, and also I really just think this is going to set the tone for what we see as the future of bullpen use. Because yeah, it's great to have Liam Hendricks anchor down mm. the pen or Josh Hader anchor down the pen, but I'm pretty sure Hendricks got paid 54 million, 39 right. guaranteed. I'm pretty sure. Imagine how the White Sox could have used that money for other position players or starting depth that they might have needed. The Dodgers don't have to go out and spend $54 million to get a guy like Hendricks. They have six other guys who, when they all combine, are probably better than Hendricks will ever be on his own.
1: Well, that's the thing. As you talk about it, It's, it's the key word when it comes to the Dodgers and its versatility. And yes. that's what they value so much, whether it be in the field or on the mound, especially with their relievers. And as you rip through all of their relievers, you, you go at exactly that. I mean, David Price, you know, can be a starter, a reliever, or you know, you can put in a bunch of different roles. You go through all the different middle guys. doesn't matter if they're coming in in the sixth or the ninth. It's not going to make a difference for these guys. And I love that position versatility for them. It's part of what makes them so strong. Um, and it's funny. So you talk about the David Price save that is not even close to my favorite David Price moment from this series. And that would be in game one when David Price hit a sacrifice fly to Joe Musgrove in left field in extra innings. It's Again, it kind of went into the quirkiness of this series. went into the fun of this series. Against
0: too? Against?
1: Against Jay Cronenworth.
0: Jay Cronenworth. <laughs> it's just, it,
1: as we said, this series had everything. Um, and I thought that was another perfect moment that needed to be said.
0: That was really cool, and my other favorite moment was watching Ryan Weathers pitch in that first game. Yeah, was he his, looks good. It was his big league debut. He is the youngest starter in the majors, 21 years old. I didn't know that going in. He only pitched three and two-thirds, so the longevity isn't there, but mm-hmm. really good stuff for him. Only two walks, three strikeouts, one hit, no earned runs. No decision, but I think the Padres can walk away happy by just that option they have in Weathers as some of their other guys get healthy too.
1: Completely agree. Do you want to move to to favorite moment or is there something else you want to hit before that?
0: Uh, No, we can move to favorite moment.
1: Okay. Yeah, so favorite moment of the series for me, it is what you mentioned. It was game two. It's the Mookie Betts catch to end the game to to save things for the Dodgers. I mean, just thinking about how crazy it was for that catch, uh, you've got Tommy Pham at bat. There was a 10% Catch probability yeah. on that ball.
0: That might have been too high.
1: Ten percent bets made the basically the perfect break on the ball. I don't know, an awesome read on it, completely laid out. Dives to make that catch. There runners on second and third with two outs. of so the game definitely would have been tied. And if that ball gets by him, we'll see how far Fam goes. um As you said, he gets up with the the intensity, the emotion there, banging his chest. It, there is your, you know, that's your flagship moment for baseball through the first three weeks. You've had two no hitters. And the bats catch, and I think those are the three biggest things that stand out wow. from this baseball season so far.
0: Hmm. Interesting. I guess I agree. Yeah. yeah, that's really the moment. That's the highlight clip that exactly. we've definitely seen the most. Yeah, the two no hitters and that. Yeah, it would. I. I mean, he was doing it in the NLCS. He was doing it in the World Series. He's doing it in a random game in April. He never turns it off no. ever. He is arguably the best player in baseball now, and I don't think that was an argument even middle of last year. Mm-hmm. I still, It's still Trout, but Mookie Betts just game in and game out continues to, to push up against that a little bit, for sure. No, so he he
1: does, and it's the defensive side of things and the base running side of things as well as well that yeah. put him in that conversation because he's just so good at all of it.
0: So I actually have a lot more to say about this series, Pat. Can we continue? Please. (laughs) So my favorite moment was Hosmer's, his tying hit in the seventh inning Mm -hmm. of game three, and then his go-ahead hit in the next inning, in the eighth, and then Tommy Pham finally broke out of that slump. He was actually the guy who hit the ball that Mookie made the game saving catch it. So a little bit of revenge there, and then the Padres go ahead, and they end up winning 5-2. I love Hosmer. I talked about it actually in my season previews. I really think that the acquisition of Hosmer changed the trajectory of the Padres Mm -hmm. organization. It did. Because the fact that they paid him showed everybody that this is what they were going to do, that the Padres are here to stay. They're going to continue to spend money. Hosmer was in the peak of his career coming off of his tenure with the Royals at the time, and then they signed Machado, and then they signed that big seven-player deal at last year's trade deadline in Tatis and Darvish and Snell, etc. So I, I love seeing Hosmer do well, and at this point, he's kind of the only hitter with runners in scoring position that can hit well. Those are pretty (laughs) jarring numbers there. But I think we should talk about the pitching now. Sure. Because each game really was a pitcher's duel in and of itself. You usually have one game in a series that the big pitcher's duel, the two aces. This game, you had all three. Maybe not Ryan Weathers, but you had Bueller versus Weathers. You had Kershaw versus Darvish, which was definitely the best matchup between the two. And then you had Bauer versus Snell. Kershaw and Darvish were... Excellent. Everything, everything I thought about Darvish potentially having a regressive year, regressing year, has been wrong. Mm -hmm. Seven innings, he got the loss. He had one earned run, one hit. I I mean, just absolutely ridiculous. It was a two nothing game. But I need to focus on Snell here, because Snell came into this series, just this season actually, not just even this series just rearing about how he was going to go deeper into games. Oh,
1: we we both agree. <laughs> he
0: I mean, the Rays weren't were no longer a fit for him. That was the attitude I got for Snell. If mm-hmm. Cash is going to pull him 73 pitches in when he's dealing right before he goes through the third part of the uh third time through the order, then the Rays aren't a fit for him because he's the type of guy that can go 7 innings, 100 plus pitches, all that. He threw 95 pitches in Game 3 versus the Dodgers, was pulled after 5. He threw 3 innings, pulled after 38 pitches against the Pirates in his last start. This is not the start that Snell envisioned for himself. It's not the start that the Padres envisioned for him And something has to change here because it is excellent that you're getting those seven innings out of Darvish almost every single time. But the one-two punch is becoming a lot less formidable if Snell is going to be throwing that many pitches. He had 10 three-ball counts over five innings. That's not going to cut it, especially with this bullpen being as just injury-ravaged as it is right now.
1: Yeah, and I think you really hit the nail on the head here. Um, when going through it on Snell. I, I do agree that it feels like the Rays were the ones that were completely vilified yes. for everything with Snell. But you're looking at it through the start of the season. He's got four starts in 15 innings. I mean, that's not acceptable No, through, to pitch 15 innings total in four starts. And the funny thing is, you look at his opponent's average, and it's 186. So you're saying, well, what's going wrong? He's got 10 walks in those 15 innings. Yeah. His whip is way up to almost 1.4, and he's getting hit uh, with with the long ball so far. Only two home runs, but he's not limiting damage for big... Yeah, exactly. So extrapolate that out. It's still not great. So it's... He's missing bats, you know, because that average is down. But as as you said, with the three ball counts and and I going through with the walks, he is struggling to put guys away. And that is a big problem for for San Diego because they need snell to step in there and be one of the you know make that top two rotation excuse me top two rotation that one-two punch as as lethal as it can be and you have not gotten that through four starts i mean seriously 15 innings in four starts
0: it's not it's not acceptable at all what makes Snell so successful is him getting batters to chase and batters are getting better at not chasing generally i mean if pittsburgh can do that think about what the dodgers can do you have some of the best Most disciplined hitters in the league in Muncie and Seeger and Taylor, etc. Chris Taylor also had a monster (laughs) series talking about Versatility,
1: versatility, versatility. He is one of the poster children for it.
0: Snell is just getting the pitch count up so high that even though he's not giving up a lot of hits or a lot of runs, you you can't even bring him into the sixth inning. So I really just think he has to attack the strike zone more. And I get that's not his M.O. I get maybe the hit number will go up, but then maybe he can just get deeper into the games because what's happening now just isn't working. It's no. not working at all.
1: No, it really is not. We, we need to see more from him if the Padres are going to be one of these top contenders.
0: Yeah. Okay, so I have one more thing about Tatis, and then I have a very important question to end off this segment. Sure. I think the Dodgers exposed Fernando Tatis's biggest weakness. I think they cracked the code. And a lot of that has to do with his injury. And, and we mentioned that at the beginning, I also agree that he came back too soon. He is nowhere near a hundred percent healthy. I actually watched a really good segment on MLB network this morning, where Tom Verducci compared Chris Bryant pre shoulder surgery. And then Fernando Tatis. Now he obviously hasn't had surgery. Hopefully not ever. I was going to say <laughs> yet, but hopefully not ever. Bryant had such a smooth swing. One hand off of the bat, just full extension before his surgery. And then once he had his soldier surgery, he just couldn't get that extension. Fernando Tatis, when you talk about pure swings, Tatis is the first one that comes to mind because he's just, I don't even know how to explain it. There's just no no limits on it. He's so pure and really just out of control in a good way. He was told going into this series that he should swing with two hands on the bat. Yep because the reason why that shoulder popped out is because he had so much extension. Not to compare myself to Fernando Tatis Jr., (laughs) but when I was playing softball, my shoulder popped out on a swing, and it is horrible. And it makes you feel, when that happens to you, you feel like it's going to happen every other time after. So I can't even imagine what he's going through. And of course, knowing him for the small sample size that we've seen as him so far, he doesn't want to go in and half-ass it. He wants to go in and still slide headfirst into Mm -hmm. second base and all that. So... It is really such a dilemma for him to either sit out or play at 80%, even if that's where he's at. But the reason why the Dodgers have cracked Tatis is because he's hitting 129 this season. Batting average isn't everything, obviously. But he went one for 13 with one homer in this series. He had that two-handed swing. And what's most important is where the swing and misses were coming from. Mm -hmm. So on Friday... 11 of the 27 pitches that Tatis saw were either middle away or down and away. Yep. On Sunday, 15 of the 22 pitches he saw were in those same zones. And the reason why I don't mention Saturday is because that was versus Kershaw, and Kershaw just pounded him in the strike zone mm-hmm. and Tati's just swung and missed. But pitchers have realized now, scouting reports have realized now, that Tati's cannot extend and reach down and away the outside corner and low. He he lunges, he extends, he flails at it. And that has become his biggest weakness, even more so than up and in, which was the previous weakness for him. Yep.
1: That is exactly what I was going to say is that I, I I know exactly those numbers that you are referring to. And it's so interesting because as, as you said there, the book on him has been jam him inside. You know, he really struggles to get that bat head through and, and be able to turn on those pitches. But You know, we've talked about it before. The Dodgers analytics are probably the top analytics department in all of Major League Baseball. The Rays
0: might have something to say about that. Yes,
1: (laughs) yes. They are right up there as well. Uh, And they clearly found something because they to so consistently attack him in that way to be able to go that low in a way and for him to struggle the way he did. It's uh, it's something he's going to have to adjust to. We talk about it all the time that, you know, players, once they get found out, you know, it's easy when you first come up and no one knows how to pitch you. But, you know, once you're able to work up that sample size, teams are able to look at these things. And this is something that's clearly popped up with that ease and the Dodgers exploited it.
0: And I'm not saying I desperately hope that this is a one-time thing. It's less than 50 pitches. Yep. So less than 50 spots. He is a generational talent. I think he will be able to overcome this. And we don't even know how much the injury is impacting him right now. But that was just a glaring weakness where you see it time in and time out him continuing to flail at these balls and the Dodgers exploited it. And we'll see how many more teams can exploit this too. But that leads me into my last question here. Is this a rivalry now? Is it a full-fledged Boston Red Sox versus New York Yankees rivalries? Or or is the are the Padres not there yet?
1: I think this is, especially just looking at it on a one-season type thing, I give this tenfold more interesting than Yankees-Red Sox this year. I I am so much more intrigued by what happens in these series between these two teams with these, with this set of players, with this set of managers, I do give it a rivalry. Now, listen, I understand the Padres do not have the history to go behind it. Mm -hmm. I get that. And I I think that is a very valid point. But they were in the postseason last year. They should be on pace for 90 plus wins this year. And these two teams are going to see a lot of each other. You know, as, as being in the division, they play 18 times. So I, I do think this is a rivalry, and for me, not only is it a rivalry, I think it's the best one in baseball to follow this year.
0: Interesting. So this year, it definitely is the best rivalry to follow. That's also because the mm-hmm. Yankees suck right now, whispers.
1: Uh, I, I would never say such a thing, <laughs> nor would I ever enjoy their pain.
0: But I am not willing to say that it's a full-fledged rivalry yet. I mean, and I get it. I get it. It's mostly because of that history that you mm-hmm. mentioned, and I also think... A rivalry, it it doesn't always matter if the teams are that well matched up. I think this year it does because these teams are seemingly so close. But one of my biggest takeaways from the weekend is that this Padres team performing the way they are right now isn't enough. It made me think that the Padres are going to have to go out and get somebody else. And I honestly think it's a bat. I think Snell will find himself. I think some of these young guys will will even out a little bit. I think the bullpen will be 100% healthy when it matters most. I think the Padres need one more bat, and it's mostly because Tommy Pham has just been abysmal this year. Horrible. They're benched up this good. Profar's good. Mateo's good. Kim is good. They need one more big time bat because the Dodgers, every. I mean, if Chris Taylor is going to play like that every single time, who are the Dodgers going to throw out that can measure up to him? So mm-hmm. I think the Dodgers, I mean, I think the Padres, excuse me could be more busy at the trade line than I expected them to be if they want to take the Dodgers deep into the postseason. And
1: what I'll say about that is that their general manager is AJ Preller. So yep. it is someone that is not going to be shy to go out there and make a deal if he thinks there's one to be had that will help the Padres. Which I agree. Again, I think only makes things more exciting.
0: Yeah, you're right. You're right. It's, it's just continuing in a year, in a decade where the Dodgers have been so dominant, you would think mm-hmm. people would tap the brakes and let the Dodgers have this excellence, not try and get close, not try and waste money. The Padres are all in and they showed it and it was so much fun to watch. It was worth it. This one series, one game, three games out of 18 showed that everything A.J. Preller did this offseason was worth it.
1: And we're about to see more of it. In just a couple of this days,
0: upcoming weekend. I have to apologize. I didn't mention this as a series to watch in my weekly. Live- I don't know. I completely missed it. I don't know what I was doing. I was because it was about, too obvious. That's I was why. talking about like the the Rays, Yankees. Who cares about that? The Dodgers <laughs> and the Padres played. <laughs> so. It's
1: uh. Listen, it's gonna be awesome. I, we, we'll listen, we just spent our main podcast segment on it. Yeah. So, and we get to do it again in a couple yeah.
0: of days. And so. next weekend. And it's Sunday Night Baseball, which will be even better. Oh, too.
1: my God. Wasn't yeah. that insane that they weren't on it on? Listen, I, I get it because they're playing each other again next weekend. They didn't want to do the back-to-back. But really, like, Cubs-Braves against Dodgers-Padres. Yeah.
0: And the the Braves game was terrible. I think the final score four. was 13-4. Four so. home
1: <laughs> runs in the first inning for the Braves in Wrigley. Yeah. Yeah, Not no, a great look. No, no, no. no.
0: All right, so... Yeah, bottom line, we'll have a lot more to talk about in this Dodgers Padres potential rivalry. We'll see mm-hmm. at the end of the year.
1: I like it. We can frame it that way. Yeah. And we'll keep following it as it, uh, so as it many
0: stars, though. So, so many to talk
1: about. It's going to be great.
0: Yeah. All right. My number is about college basketball. Should Sweet. we go there? Let's do it. So, talking about stars, the number one ranked recruit in college basketball declared today Chet Holmgren is going to the newest blue blood (laughs) in college basketball, the Gonzaga Bulldogs. And the craziest number I heard this week is two. Because Gonzaga is now the second team in the ESPN 100 era, those college rankings. So that's since 2007 to add the number one recruit in the class after reaching the national championship game. You thought Gonzaga was good last year. Watch out for them this year. I found another stat. I was telling Pat beforehand and I didn't write it down and now I can't find it. But something like Gonzaga has gotten two of the best recruits in in the country. Holmgren this year and Suggs was number six overall last year. They hadn't done that in probably the organization history since then. Gonzaga is coming onto the scene and quick. It's just Holmgren. He's 7-1. Him and Drew Timmy. I can't even imagine what that's going to be like to watch. But... Good for Mark Few, good for Gonzaga, and good for Spokane, Washington. Come on now.
1: No, it's it's awesome. I also think it's very interesting that this happened on the day that Jalen Suggs officially yes. declared for the oh, good NBA point. Yeah. draft. So while they're losing Suggs, they are adding Holmgren. I again, listen, we, <laughs> this has been a major theme of the show. You know, whenever we've done college basketball. I only see this as a good thing, that the yeah, number too. one recruit in the country is going to Gonzaga. Because you know what Gonzaga's built, they've done it the right way, they've turned in year after year of excellence, and as heartbreaking as it was for them to lose, you know, that that undefeated season in the national title game, as you said, they are going to be right right up there as one of the favorites, if not the favorite, to take home a national title in two thousand twenty two.
0: Yeah. Highest rated prospect to go to Gonzaga since two thousand and seven. Mark Few, 22 years, finally gets his number one. So cool. <laughs> I lo- I am a awesome. huge fan of Mark Few these As days.
1: As am I. Yeah. Like I said, built them the right way, uh, have taken advantage of transfers, have developed players. They've got the one and done and the Jalen Suggs type. Uh, the, the job that Few has done since he took this job in the late 90s. Yeah. Almost unparalleled in college basketball, possibly unparalleled in college basketball from where Gonzaga was to what he's built them to.
0: And the difference is that we're obviously not talking about Jalen Suggs in the same vein that we have with UNC and Kentucky and Duke, Mm -hmm. because Jalen Suggs is a generational talent that we might never see again, a talent like him. And you probably could say the same thing about Chet Holmgren. He hasn't even played college basketball, (laughs) and he's already the projected number one overall pick in 2022. That seems crazy to me. but. That, that happens every once in a blue moon. It's the culture that you build, and that's the difference between Gonzaga and the Blue Bloods that have struggled this past year in Kentucky, UNC, Kansas, etc.
1: If you haven't seen Chet Holmgren's highlights from, from high school yet, I highly recommend just looking them up and grabbing a bucket of popcorn and a <laughs> drink. And You'll be blown away. <laughs> because it is incredible.
0: All right, And so a now really
1: exciting one.
0: I'm going to give you the floor. Oh, nice,
1: nice, nice. (laughs) So we we don't talk about too much soccer on the show, but it is definitely part of my bread and butter. And so my number for this week is 12. And 12 is the number of founding clubs that will be apparently, as of right now, we'll put that in asterisks because we'll see if these things go through, joining the European Super League. And so let me try and explain this for those that, you know, aren't aren't up on soccer, don't really understand how things work. Basically, the Champions League is the big competition in European soccer. It is where all the top clubs across many different countries in Europe go in and play each other, and it ends up with one champion across Europe when it's all said and done. What is being proposed is that basically the top, top clubs, you know, the top 12 are breaking away and starting their own competition. To rival the Champions League, so you may look at this and say, "Well, what's the problem with that?" You know, the the top twelve teams. Won't it be really fun to see them playing each other week in and week out? What <laughs> what they don't really uh, promote too much is that a huge part of European soccer is qualification, promotion, and relegation. In this new proposed format, those twelve teams that are breaking away can never, ever miss the tournament they can lose every single game and they will be they are safe they will never miss out on the team contract (laughs) i completely agree um it's and what so what it really does is a it completely destroys the heart of competition because now it makes it if you don't win you know the the championship in your league which let's be honest in european soccer there are usually only very few teams that can even compete for that you know what's the point because you can't fin- it, How it works in, in England is if you finish fourth in the league, you get to be in the Champions League. So if finishing fourth can be a very successful year for teams. Now you take that away. So say you're a small club like Leicester City, which has really risen up the ranks over the past decade. They're on pace right now to finish third. It, 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 under this new format, they could finish second, they could finish first. It doesn't matter. They're excluded. Yeah. And it's ridiculous ridiculous to do that not only that you you've you've got the fact that all these different you know the nbc's of the world the espn's of the world are now going to go back and want to renegotiate these tv contracts because without the top clubs the the value for all these other teams completely plummets you are leaving all the smaller clubs behind it's I didn't even do the best job of of explaining it, but it is because I have so many things going through my head about how (laughs) furious I am on this. And listen, my club is one of the ones that's included, that's breaking away. And it is disgusting. It is disgraceful. It is greedy. It destroys the fabric of the game that makes it so interesting and so fun. What European soccer thrives on is the smaller clubs. It's that everything is earned through qualification, through promotion, through competition, through clawing your way to get there and they are removing all of that and just putting a but giant safety net for these clubs and saying you're good you never have to worry about results you are always going to be here and it is i I wish i cursed on this show because i could throw out so many expletives right now but it's just ridiculous and disgusting
0: yeah no did did that make sense for someone that
1: doesn't follow the sport
0: you did do a very good job of explaining so i don't follow the sport very much i know enough about relegation, and promotion to know that that's one of the most fun parts about it. It's the
1: lifeblood of the sport.
0: And I think you could say that about a lot of sports. I mean, not that relegation happens in in, in any American sports, but you mentioned it before. I don't want to steal the words from you, but you said if the Giants and the Cowboys and the Steelers and the Chiefs went and formed their own league, and only they made it to the playoffs every Mm -hmm. single year. Yep. I genuinely can't imagine... The 95% of A fans (laughs) who root for all the other teams that just don't get to see their team proceed to the next level, there's that part of it. So few people benefit. That's, I guess, what my biggest thing is. Why do this if so few teams benefit? And then what's the point of playing at all if a team like Leicester City isn't even going to make it even if they're the best team in the entire country after a full season?
1: It's it's so insulting and listen there are a ton of ramifications that could possibly go toward this. We were talking about it before.
0: Yeah, now, go Fi- through that a little bit yeah, about so f- the FIFA
1: backlash. FIFA and UEFA have threatened banning any player that is a part of these clubs that will join this, you know, breakaway league from all international competition and that includes the World Cup. Mm-hmm. You know, that includes this summer's uh, Gold Cup which will involve the United States men's national team. That includes this summer's Euros which is a you know a massive massive international tournament in Europe. You've got uh, UEFA and the Champions League. So <laughs> funny enough, three of the four finalists in the Champions League right now are supposed to break away as a part of this league. UEFA is threatening to expel them from the competition uh, later this week, which I don't know what that's going to mean for the competition for this year's competition moving forward. You have the English teams that are in it could possibly be removed from the English Premier League. Again, the lifeblood, the most popular league in the world may be losing its top six teams because FIFA and the English football, uh, Footballing Federation are looking to kick them out of it. This is quite simply the largest story in sports of the year, no matter what the sport is. I don't care. LeBron James could retire tomorrow. It's not as big of a story as this possible wow. Super League. Because yeah. this changes the entire fabric of the world's most popular sport.
0: So, can I ask, what, did these team owners sit yes. down and it's, create yes. it? that's exactly okay.
1: what it is. The so, players and coaches had no say in this. I was going to say, all the owners.
0: so then why is it on the players mm-hmm. to not go? So, it's up to them to decide that's the worst to either part. be on this team or go, or they're banned from... Playing in the Olympics or playing in the World Cup? That doesn't really seem right to me.
1: You're correct. It's the most unfair part about it is that it's being taken out on the players, especially international parts, because the players were not consulted on this. They were not asked. Same with the coaching staff. This is all about the owners coming together, saying, basically, we've lost all this money in the pandemic. They're going to be guaranteed a ridiculous amount of money by starting this league, which is why they're doing it or why they are looking to do it. What they are also trying to do is (laughs) really try and strong arm UEFA, who runs the Champions League, to go back and basically make them an offer that they can't refuse to get them to ditch this league and go back. So that's part of what this is, is a bargaining chip. But that's why this has been a rumor for a long time. And I think clubs have used it to try and get UEFA to make that offer, and it hasn't happened. So now they've actually gone through with it. Uh, So it's... uh, the the punishments as i went through like expelled from your own domestic league your players not allowed to play in international competitions this is not soft stuff this is everything
0: and it's just Uh, because you happen to be affiliated with this club even if it wasn't your decision so that's brutal
1: it um this league benefits one group of people and it's the owners Yes. The, the, you've already had high profile players, you know, stand out against it. There were massive protests already from fans. Uh, you've got coaches saying they don't like it. This is coming from one group and it, it's terrible. It's sad. It's disheartening. As I said, I will go as far as saying it's downright disgusting. Yeah. And I, I really hope that this thing gets shunned because it it breaks my heart to even talk about it because it destroys the world of soccer in Europe that has been yeah. set up. And it's so perfect the way it is. It, it's just, it's terrible. So it just that's seems, my soapbox.
0: It's a recurring theme, and it's on a, a smaller scale among other American sports, especially. But just the the relationship okay. between the owners and then literally everybody else. I mean, you see it with this this huge war basically in baseball that we're gonna have with this next CBA coming through. You see it with football and, and the disparity there. It's just a problem. And they're the minority that benefits, and everybody Um, else is worse for wear. So, I don't know. What I've seen so far, I'm obviously not uh, super in tune with it, but there has been so much backlash that I have to think something will happen, or some statement will come out, or something in response.
1: I have never seen, like, anything... This universally right. hated ever right. anything in the sporting world. This universally hated as this idea. And you know what? You bring up a really great point, and it's a really ugly point to look at as well about the owners. Three of the biggest owners that are driving this are American owners. In really, soccer. and that's a very big problem for how the world are. We already know how the world looks at America as is yeah. when it comes to soccer.
0: Yeah,
1: you've got uh, Jay Glazer, who is a an owner of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. You have Stan Cronkey who is owner of the LA Rams. Yeah, And you have John Henry, owner of the Boston Red Sox, are three of the drivers for this thing. I didn't know so, that. That's yes. really interesting. So they are they are looking to take this to more of an American sports model.
0: Yeah. Wow. And
1: it's just... To completely throw aside the cultural differences between European sport and American sport, you get this type of backlash for it. Yeah.
0: It's crazy. I didn't even really think about that aspect, but you and I were talking before we started recording too about just... Soccer is the most popular sport in the world, and mm-hmm. it is such, I think you could go as far as saying pretty much a non-entity in America. So it, I think it's fine staying that way, and you just hope for more popularity among people like you who root for teams across the world. It just doesn't need to take this step.
1: Really yeah doesn't. it's it's listen it's growing here in america it really is yeah. I, they're they're always going to struggle with mls just because of the level of competition and we mm-hmm. could genuinely do an entire podcast on this yeah <laughs> i could do a keynote speech on this but um you know european european soccer international soccer is i've said this word too many times at this point but is the foundation it is the lifeblood uh, yeah. of soccer across the world so to drive a stake through the heart of it is um is it's quite right. the strategy um, right. as i said the financial implications of course i understand why these clubs would want to do it mm-hmm. but you just have to know the backlash mm-hmm. and how it's just straight up wrong when it comes down to it
0: yeah. so thank you for listening to pat's ted talk
1: yeah seriously i'm so sorry for any of you that
0: hated no that. I just, no that was really good that was very it was the perfect mix of of information and your opinion so i liked it and i feel i'm much smarter about it
1: I hope I helped for those that weren't too sure on it. And uh, I would say, you know, do your own research. Don't take my opinion as gospel. No, I'm right on this. This is a disaster. (laughs) This is a disaster.
0: (laughs) I love that. Pat Pat wouldn't go about saying that flippantly. So no, absolutely not. Absolutely not. So yes. All right. So I forgot to mention the new followers of the week at the beginning. So I'll say them quickly now. Pals fantasy football, the six ish man, Patrick another Zang member, Kathy Zang Fiola. Thank you. And Real Talk with MJ, Miles Johnson. And then on Twitter, we had the Under Review Lit Podcast. That's Terry Horseman from Hustle. Thank you, Terry. The Scary Hour Podcast, also a part of Hustle. Walking Off Pod, a new Brewers no podcast on Hustle, which is awesome. And then Alex Mador, another part of Hustles. I didn't wow Hustlers before realize that everybody week, yeah. was from Hustle, but we really appreciate that. Thank you, guys. Let's end with a more relaxing best of. Much more. You got yourself all riled up there. I did.
1: I did. I I need a drink. (laughs) Tell us what it's gonna be. (laughs) Yeah, so we are going to do our favorite either vacation or vacation spot for for this best of, and that's stemming off of the fact I am recording this from South Carolina right now. Um, So Emma, you want to get into it?
0: Yeah, you needed the vacation. I'm glad you're there. A little bit, yeah. I'll take it as the best vacation I've ever been on. So please. When I was in high school, I think, early high school, I went to Yellowstone with a company. Oh, called,
1: that's a cool one.
0: Yeah. I went with a company called Backroads and they do basically, they're an outdoor adventure company basically. And they do trips all over the world. My dream one is to go dog, slugg- dog sledding in Alaska. Fantastic. You could go to Ireland. You could go golfing in Ireland. You could go cross-country skiing in switzerland they are literally all over the world we did the yellowstone one because that is my favorite type of vacation hiking biking we went white water rafting we went kayaking it was so much fun really really cool places the grand teton mountains we also went to so oh that's so cool. yeah the the national parks those are my types of trips i love it i also really like the beach but i think if it came down to it and it was like Jamaica versus Yellowstone. I think I would pick Yellowstone again.
1: Uh, Yellowstone is a place that I would still really like to go to. Yeah, that is... it's
0: really awesome. It's really awesome.
1: Oh, that is so cool. I, I'm glad you shared that because that was interesting for me yeah. too. That's Oh, that's sweet. Um, What's yours? Yeah, so I, I look at it in different ways. You know, All my baseball trips to see baseball stadiums, yes. I, I love top up there uh i would be remiss to not mention uh, my senior year spring break from a year ago uh <laughs> down in florida was a great time as well but I, I really have to say for for vacation spot it's where i am right now it's it's what i mentioned for um at the rpga when we did that best oh, yeah. stuff uh, for for harbortown uh hilton head is just incredible the, the mix of weather beach golf restaurants uh just straight on good vibes is yeah. um is just so refreshing and so nice coming from a northern boy. Mm-hmm. Um, so <laughs> it, it feels great to go down here. And there's so many different things to do, especially outside. Uh, as I said, uh, the, the food is out of this world. Oh, yeah. And uh, I adore this place. Oh, could I Could not have that. been happier to get down here for a couple of days. And I'll be back down here in a couple months as well. So, so. <laughs> nice. I
0: went I went there when I was really young. I actually lost my first ever tooth in Hill and Did Head. you? Oh, yeah, that's a big story. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> did you hear? emma lost her first did you hear yeah in head. but uh, statistic
1: of the week one
0: yeah i gotta go back at this stage of my life now and obviously appreciate it for different reasons now it's so, so good that I, I really do want to do that
1: yeah hilton head south carolina nothing nothing tops it for me though i do love as i said baseball uh florida and vermont as well is a, really one of my favorites love oh, vermont
0: my my bucket list one of my biggest things is to visit all the the ballparks that is something oh, that I, I desperately want to do. And I was talking to somebody today about the course field and seeing the Rockies in the back. So that catapulted uh-huh. it up to maybe top three along with yeah, San Francisco. And it's supposed to be and... a
1: beautiful park. Yeah.
0: I, w- I very much would like to see course. Yeah. PNC, San Francisco, and course. Probably my top three right now.
1: I think Nationals Park is going to be the next one off my list this year. Okay. Yeah, that's Just, n- that's doable. It's, it's drivable for yeah. me. I should be vaccinated soon. So um should be easy enough for me to get to and cross Love another that. one off. Yeah.
0: Hope, hopefully they're playing well there. Then, <laughs>
1: yeah. Uh, d- as a Met fan, I hope not.
0: True. <laughs> sure. sure. Well, you can see Juan Soto.
1: Exactly. Juan Soto. I get yeah. to see my man crush.
0: All right, cool. Well, that was a fun one. I like doing ones that are pretty reactionary after the series happened. So maybe we'll do... Well, actually, we're going to do NFL draft next week. Cannot wait maybe... for that one. Some of our numbers will be about the second installment of the Dodgers-Padres early rivalry. I think that for title this week, Pat, I'm feeling something like, is it the rivalry? Is it the rivalry? Emphasis on
1: the? Capitalize the the and make it into a the. I like it. I can do that. That sounds fun to (laughs) me. Awesome. (laughs) Sweet. No, that was fun and can't wait to do some NFL draft next week. It is a fun, fun time of the year. But all right, that will do it for us. Make sure to follow us on Spotify and subscribe on iTunes. Leave a rating as well, as it really helps us out. And if you leave a rating, you can also help us out with our best of segment. Uh, Follow us on Instagram and Twitter at DidYouHearPod to let us know what you think. We'll have a weekly walk-off coming later in the week. And otherwise, Emma, that's a wrap.